Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And it's time for your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, August 10th, 2022. It's brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Visit ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of pots you can smoke in the city. Uh, And so much more. Don't miss it, including interesting articles from our main man, Ben Jarofsky. He's going to be coming up here to talk to you guys in just a minute. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help this program out, you can. It's really easy. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory. S-K-Y. Go Bulls. Ben, how you doing today, bud? Really well, man. I, that uh, voice is Chris Shraggy. Once again, Dr. D, Dennis, my uh, usual partner in crime for this show, uh, is on a much-deserved, much-needed uh, vacation. Chris Shraggy doing a great job stepping in, showing he's still got game. Still got, he, took a, he, he took like a six-month off, did a, this, that, and the other thing I just heard off mic, something he did, which we will be talking about tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, because it involves one of my favorite topics, a reefer. Okay, so we'll get into that one tomorrow. A uh, very interesting little uh, tale that uh, Chris told me uh, before we went on the mic. So this is uh, what Chris and Dennis would call a tease it's, in the radio business. It's a tease okay, in the industry. I'm teasing industry the story we're talking about you. tomorrow. Hello, everybody. Ben Drowski here. We're calling this Brianna Remembered Thursday, and here's why. Great story today, and sometimes actually it's a column credit where credit is due. Uh, Jacob Sullum is the writer's name. He's a libertarian. And I'd say I agree with Jacob Sullum maybe mm, one out of 10 times. Uh, Jacob Sullum is a, a libertarian. Uh, and, uh, you know, my attitude about libertarians in this country is essentially they're uh, Republicans who are too ashamed to call themselves Republicans. So they call themselves libertarians. About the only stand they'll ever take is a stand, uh, what, uh, against taxes because they're cheap and they don't want to pay taxes. That's just kind of my general jaded attitude about libertarians in the United States of America. I'm looking for them. Where are you libertarians in any issue affecting liberty of ordinary people? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, abortion rights. People getting threats of throwing them into jail because they're going to help somebody go from Texas to, say, Illinois uh, to get an abortion. You know, like dictating to a uh, doctor what he or she could say to his or her patient. You know what I mean? Having to go before a judge to get permission uh, to get an abortion. You know what I'm saying? That's like not very libertarian of you, libertarians. And yet usually they're nowhere to be found under the table. Come on out. I'm scared. Why? Because then MAGA would get mad at them. They would lose their base. So they, you know, they talk about things like defending the rights of gun owners to have like 5 billion weapons. But anyway got to give Jacob Sullen credit because uh, he put together a very uh, revealing column uh, about it's something new. We I don't think we talked about this in the show, but this story broke about a week ago. And uh, according to a federal indictment, here's the lead. 
unsealed last week, Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old EMT and aspiring nurse who was killed during a 2020 drug raid in Louisville, Kentucky, died because a cop lied. Wow, that's a pretty powerful lead, uh, Jacob Sullivan. Uh, excuse me, Jacob Sullivan. It's not going to win you many fans of Magaland, so i got to give you credit for going on a limb there. Uh, back to the story. According to a 2019 federal indictment, the same is true of Dennis Tuttle and Rogina Nicholas, a middle-aged couple killed during a drug raid in Houston that year. I'm going to stick with the Breonna Taylor story for a moment. Uh, and we all know the story. Uh, police uh, with a, uh, a warrant uh, arresting her former boyfriend, burst into her apartment. Uh, God, when was that? In 2020. Uh, and uh, her current boyfriend like freaked the hell out. Uh, thought it was some people. This is so like this is something MAGA should be supporting. He thought some gunmen had burst into his house that were going to try to shoot him. So he came out firing. Everybody had a gun. Isn't that what it's supposed to be, MAGA? Everybody's supposed to have guns and just start shooting each other whenever you're in trouble. Well, it turns out it wasn't, uh, you know, some bad guys off the street. It was some police officers from Louisville looking for someone who didn't even live there. Uh, and uh, in the gunfire, Brianna Taylor was killed. And of course, uh, MAGA immediate reaction is she must have done something wrong uh, to warrant being killed. Uh, and uh, her definitely her boyfriend who did the shooting must have done something wrong to warrant uh, getting shot at by police and that the police are always right. And we stand by the police no matter what. And it doesn't matter if it was a no knock raid. It doesn't matter uh, if the warrant was maybe suspicious. All that matters is that it was a. a a shootout involving a police and uh, a civilian. And in matters like that, the police are always right. Well, it turns out uh, that there was erroneous information, to put it uh, mildly, uh, that uh, was used to get the warrant in the first place. And I'll just read to you again from Jacob Sullum's uh, column. Uh, when Louisville Detective Joshua Jane sought a warrant to search Taylor's apartment in 2020, he claimed he had verified through a U.S. postal inspector that suspected drug dealer Jamarcus Glover, uh, Taylor's former boyfriend, had been, quote, receiving packages at her apartment. After the raid that killed Brianna Taylor, Janes told investigators that information actually came from a colleague who supposedly told Janes nonchalantly that Glover just gets Amazon or mail packages there. In other words, uh, that goes on and on from there. But basically, the uh, justification for the warrant was fictitious. There was no... Uh, real reason why uh, Louisville police needed a warrant uh, to do a no-knock raid. Uh, they had no greater purpose for bursting into the house. Uh, and Breonna Taylor is dead because of uh, overreach by the police. So I'm reading this and absorbing this and thinking about the issues it raised and thinking about the knee-jerk reaction that MAGA has had from that moment against anybody who stands up for Breonna Taylor and just asks questions about the matter. Fast forward to what just went down Monday with the quote-unquote FBI raid at uh, Donnie Trump's uh, Magalara uh, kingdom down there in Florida. And MAGA is enraged. They want to defund the FBI. They want to fire FBI officials. There's MAGA uh, nutcases on the internet wanting to like punish the judge who issued the warrant. You know, what there's... Some of these nutcases are talking about armed insurrection and a civil war. And I'm like, where was this love for the rights of the individual, for the sanctity of the home, for the sanctity of one person's castle when it was Breonna Taylor? 
getting gunned down. And I mention all this, folks, not to expose the hypocrisy of MAGA. I mean, that's not my main reason for it. I, I kind of enjoy exposing the hypocrisy of MAGA. I realize, of course, it's kind of a futile effort, you know, because first of all, you're never, ever, ever, and I learned this lesson from Sam Holloway, a guest on this show, you're never, ever, ever going to get one MAGA cultist to ever change his or her mind by showing them how inconsistent they are and hypocritical they are. They are determined to stick, stay on course no matter what, what evidence you present to them that might deter them, that might deter a normal human being. So yes, they're hypocrites, but I, yes, I also realize that I'm not going to change one MAGA mind by exposing it. On the other hand, there is a narrative that is constantly being put out, and it's an interesting combination of people who put it out. I get it from the left in one, for the far left on one variation or another, and then I get it from like the mushy middle. <laughs> the mushy middle, those demi-dems in the city of Chicago. You know, you live lakefront liberal types who, as they get older, come less and less liberal. I don't know, Ben. My taxes. <laughs> you know the type. All right. They think they're like they're doing something because they listen to WBEZ. Oh, yeah, I listen to WBEZ. I'm a real progressive. <laughs> you know, so uh, my wife had a conversation with one yesterday. I'm not going to name any names. Mushy middle. And he goes, what is needed right now is some dialogue between uh, Democrats and Republicans, between uh, liberals uh, and conservatives. And I, I heard this, and I'm like, how could you believe that there's a spot for dialogue, open dialogue between anyone of the Democratic persuasion and anybody in the Republican Party? Please name one Republican anywhere who's open-minded about any problem we're facing. They absolutely positively refuse in any way to address in any meaningful way, any of the problems we're facing. My, uh, Miles uh, Conflasso will be joining me in a little bit. We're gonna do a little talk about what I teasingly call the mansion bill, uh, the inflation reduction bill. It took all 50 Dems in the Senate to vote for it because zero Republicans voted for it. In fact, up to the last minute, the Republicans are, they're still trying to defeat it. We'll talk about that as well with some bogus uh, website uh, that's been set up and some bogus campaign ads uh, being used uh, against Elon Omar and other uh, lefty uh, Congress people. You can't find a Republican who is willing to have anything resembling a meaningful discussion about the problems we face. So here we go. Breonna Taylor killed in the middle of the night a police raid that was fortified, it turns out, by a bogus warrant. I've not heard one Republican. Forget MAGA. Forget the nutcases in MAGA who are 95% of the Republican Party. I'm talking about the 5% that is supposedly civilized and thoughtful and is addressing the issues that they... I've not heard one Republican talk about that. But meanwhile, the outcry about the invasion of Donnie Trump's home his sacred home in mar like the guy's got 10 homes i'm like why is this one more sacred than any other but in every home that donnie has is sacred i actually don't know if he has 10 homes i know he's got like he lives in a country 
club in New Jersey. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm going to ask Miles. Miles will know the answer to this one, where Trump actually lives most of the time. I still think he's got the uh, uh, the condominium in uh, Trump Tower in New York City. Oh, maybe he doesn't live there anymore. The point is, uh, this is supposedly his sacred home. And so MAGA is outraged that the uh, FBI violated and they want to defund the FBI and they want to have an investigation and call Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI before Congress. And they're warning Merrick Garland, what keep those notes? Cause we're going to come after you if we take the Congress in November. And I'm like, okay, I'll tell you what, if you're going to have an investigation of the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago, which by the way, was like weeks Okay, weeks in the planning stages with subpoenas given to to Trump to turn over voluntarily the stuff he allegedly took from the White House that he shouldn't have taken with lawyers negotiating with federal lawyers and agents, et cetera, and so forth, which was done like in the uh, during the day. And the people who came in didn't come bursting in with guns blaring. They weren't even wearing those FBI jackets. Isn't that funny? MAGA is sobbing like the babies that they are over this horrific invasion. The dudes were like in plain clothes here in Chicago. Miles know about this. We're always getting the FBI raiding uh, aldermen. Ed Burke, Carrie Austin, the list goes on and on. Can't think of them right now, but there's more. You know, it's like a, it's a ritual in Chicago. And the FBI does that. They don't come in in plain clothes. They got those little nylon jackets with FBI. <laughs> Let's just really humiliate the guy, you know, with pictures of the FBI agents carting out stuff. And then the reporters dutifully standing outside going, oh, my God, they're carting out stuff <laughs> to convince the people of Chicago. that Yep, it's another. Cor- he must be corrupt because they're carting out stuff. They didn't do that for Donnie Trump. They, 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 they protected him from all that. And yet MAGA sobs. So I hope there's a hearing. If there is a hearing, I hope they broaden it. Here's a suggestion, Kevin. Broaden it to, conclu- uh, to include uh, a discussion and a debate about the handling of the warrant used uh, to justify the invasion of Breonna Taylor's apartment. Yeah, right? fair is fair, right? Let's just, let's, okay, if we're going to take a look at warrants and home invasions and we're going to uh, study and examine the notion that every person's home is his or her castle, then what's good for Donnie Trump is good for Brianna Taylor. All right, I had to get that one off my chest. I'm going to bring on Miles Conflossen, good friend of the show, in these times, reporter, editor, writer, uh, and also a proud graduate of Whitney Young High School. I say that, Miles, I don't know if you saw this, but Whitney Young has a new principal. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, he, after your time, about four years after your time, he's the assistant principal of Whitney Young. And uh, he replaced uh, the legendary uh, Joyce Kenner. So I just had to share that with you to get you going. I know it always fires you up to talk about your uh, your alma mater, Whitney Young, new pr- new principal of Whitney Young. Are you excited about that, Miles? Uh, I hope they keep uh, all the excellence going in the classroom, as uh, Whitney Young has been known for throughout the years. Uh, go Dolphins! And yeah, Joyce Kenner was a principal back when I was a student. So yeah, long and legendary career for uh, Dr. Kenner. And I hope she enjoys retirement or whatever's next. Yeah, and I will point out before we uh, move away from Whitney Young, get to the news of the day, that Whitney Young, uh, when uh, Miles was there, was also a bastion of really good uh, what activism by the students. 
I, I recall writing articles about Whitney Young students back in the early part of the 21st century who were rebelling against this really dumbass test. Oh my God, that the Board of Education, Paul Vallis and Jerry Chico, in their infinite wisdom, uh, try to uh, shove down the throats of students. Just to, just what kids need, another, what, like multiple choice, uh, high stakes test, uh, and the students at Whitney Young led the charge against it. Um, not that it did any good. You can, in those days, talk about tyrannical uh, tyrants and dictators daily, right, where you ran the schools. But anyway, all right, Miles. Uh, at the top of the list, uh, the raid uh, at Mar-a-Lago, where we're going to get into the mansion bill, what I call the mansion bill. Ironic there. We were going to talk about uh, Republican tactics uh, to try to undercut uh, that bill uh, and uh, maybe get a little Brittany Griner talk in here as well. Uh, but let's start at the top. Uh, Donald Trump and the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Um, you already heard my thoughts about the uh, contrast with uh, Breonna Taylor's raid. What are some of your thoughts about what went down Monday night? Yeah, of course, this was a pretty unprecedented uh, development in that a former president has now had their uh, home searched and apparently documents seized from it. Um, I think that the response to it is one of the most interesting elements because um, we don't really know what was uh, going down because nobody, you know, Trump's supporters have made a big deal out of why the Justice Department or the FBI have not released more information. But uh, it, you know, stands to reason that Trump himself um, or certainly his lawyers would have had a copy of the the warrant. And so they could present the very reason why um, the agents went into uh, the home, but nobody has released that, you know, so neither uh, Trump's side nor the government have. So it's just a lot of open questions. Um, the reporting we do have, though, really lends itself towards the idea that this was a very specific um, act taken in order to accomplish the um, goal of acquiring documents that uh, Trump had apparently taken with him from the White House uh, that were classified. That is very different from the type of criminal conspiracy or seditious acts or a lot of the other type of allegations that have been made against the former president and certainly the type of crimes that a lot of his opponents want to see him uh, face justice for. This is a much more limited uh, type of investigation, as so it seems, uh, strictly into, you know, what, what has been widely reported is that he took up to about 15 boxes of documents when he left uh, the White House, um, and that his team has been in discussion with the FBI and the government for uh, months now over getting some of these documents back. Apparently, the new reporting um, in the past couple days indicates that there were people on Trump's side, potentially a mole, you know, or some type of a, um, you know, backhanded uh, operator operating within the Trump camp who has also been feeding information that then told these agents where specifically in the house uh, these documents were located. And just look in the face of it, I mean, how this was carried out, it definitely seems as though it is planned as part of a way to, you know, manage the situation and not make it as high profile as possible. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, the search took place when Trump was in his home in Bedminster, uh, 
New Jersey, not when he was at the actual residence. Um, they weren't in the FBI clothes. They were trying to keep it under wraps. It actually wasn't even reported until Trump himself put out a statement, you know, decrying uh, government overreach and everything um, and, you know, causing a lot of his supporters to whine, as you say. Uh, I mean, that's the, on the, the more chill side of the spectrum, because um, when we get to the response to this, I think it's been uh, oversized on both sides of the, the political spectrum, but certainly Trump supporters. I mean, if you looked at some of you know Truth Social and the Donald.Win, all these you know um, uh, these boards that uh, are full of Trump supporters, they were talking about locking and loading, right, and actually trying to take violence against uh, the government over this, and you know, lo and behold, his supporters did gather around Mar-a-Lago, uh, brandishing weapons and um, all kinds of, uh, making all kinds of gestures towards uh, the agents there, um, which is cops, you know, uh, trying to, you know, show that there's, they're the resistance, right? And they're going to protect their president from government overreach. Um, well, Trump himself, what we just saw, you know, he just, was yesterday or the day before, we went in for questioning over a different case, a civil case in New York, went in for questioning, and he pleaded the fifth. You know, he wouldn't uh, give them any information. And this is the same Donald Trump who, over the course of many years, has long said, why would you plead the fifth unless you're guilty? I don't believe in pleading the fifth, you know? And now he's doing that exact thing. And he put out a statement saying why he did it, because his family is being threatened by the government and all this. Um, but, uh, but the other response we've seen to the Trump uh, search has been from, you know, the liberal media has been kind of saying this is part, he's going down, you know, and this is step one as part of like a big uh, plan that is finally being carried out by Merrick Garland's Justice Department to, um, to jail Trump, you know, or at least indict him. Now, indictments might be coming down, but I would say all the information we have based on this search that says that this is not, you know, any immediate precursor to that type of action being taken, at least not as it comes to this specific case. Now, the case itself has a lot of irony in it, because the reason that, you know, taking classified documents is a felony now is because Trump signed a law in 2018, making it a felony in response to the Hillary Clinton email scandal, you know, he was trying to show that Hillary was a criminal and all this stuff. And so he signed this very law that he might be facing the consequences for. Um, the other thing that you know, me and you talk, have talked about this, Ben, uh, the other odd response I've seen, besides jubilation and, you know, talk that this is all the, the downfall of the Trump empire, is people on the left side or the liberal side of the political spectrum saying this is somehow good for Trump, you know, and, and, and worrying, because I think there's this whole, uh, you know, Trump derangement syndrome that has to do with all these, you know, psychic scars from 2016, where people believe that anything that happens is part of some 12 dimensional chess game that must be benefiting Trump somehow. Um, that may be, we don't know the exact political fallout, but to reflexively try to, you know, uh, claim that this is somehow, let's game it out and see how this is going to, you know, benefit Trump. Obviously, it's riling up his base in defense of him, but I don't know if that's actually going to help him in terms of his electoral fortunes. I mean, we all remember it was, you know, when Hillary Clinton, it was announced that the, um, the Justice Department was looking into Hillary Clinton's emails and reopening that investigation due to the, you know, Anthony Weiner scandal and Huma Abedin's computer 
uh, right before the 2016 election that really led to uh, gaining lots of support for her and helped lead to Trump's election in the first place. So all these people saying that an investigation of Trump is going to be a benefit to him politically, I think, is also not based in reality. I think that a lot of that is just people trying to create political narratives and storylines out of a situation where, you know, we have some answers and we're learning more, but we really don't um, know the depths of it yet. No, I, uh, yeah, I'm with you that, uh, that nobody knows, obviously, the political ramifications of what went down on Monday. And I know uh, the narrative that MAGA is trying to set up. Absolutely. I'm watching it unfold. I get I, I get five or six emails at least an hour from various MAGA sources uh, asking me for money uh, uh, to, you know, to show my outrage over the invasion of uh, Donald Trump's. <laughs> they would say home, you know, like it's like a little bungalow on the northwest side of Chicago. <laughs> you guys are so trippy, man. Uh, so. Yeah, I listen. I have no doubt in my mind uh, that if this was a legitimate, uh, like, a, if the congressional districts uh, in, the, in the United States of America were, uh, even if they were just drawn randomly by a computer, uh, as opposed to being gerrymandered, I have no doubt in my mind that the Democrats would take control of the House because I do believe a majority of voters in this country, people who actually go to the polls, uh, uh, are against Donald Trump. They just don't like Donald Trump. They want to get rid of Donald Trump as a political force in this country. I absolutely believe that. I think that's what Joe Biden's victory was all about, uh, Miles. Now, we get into the substance and the in issues of how far to the left do these uh, anti-Trumpers go, uh, whether they're going to be beneficial for like leftist goals that you or I may have. But I'm just talking about this one issue, just removing Donald Trump from the political uh equation in the united states i think there's a majority but because the house is so gerrymandered you know what i mean i gotta study all the odds makers out there i don't know if you ever go to their sites they're constantly keeping track of gerrymandered districts and so which republican is you know which candidates favor to win which district etc and so forth that's what it's, it's it's like following um like high school basketball to try to figure out who's the best draft choice or who's the best recruit coming out of high school basketball you follow me it's like in the weeds so much so uh, I don't know what the, the political uh, fallout is, but I got to tell you, I'll hit this again. You cannot have a substantial, you cannot have a substantive debate, Miles, on something like, okay, the warrants, like the rules, one way or another, governing a warrant, a no-knock warrant, uh, governing the invasion by law enforcement of someone's house. This is essentially the issue at stake here. It was the same issue at stake with Breonna Taylor. You know what I'm saying, Miles? You cannot have a conversation with anyone on the right about this stuff because it's all about their particular need at that moment. That's the position they'll take. So on top of everything else, that's what I find exceedingly frustrating uh, with this moment in politics. Now, we'll shift and let's talk about the bill that uh, I guess it hasn't fully passed. It passed the Senate. It still awaits a House approval. I teasingly call it the mansion bill. Uh, you, um, in these times, wrote uh, an article that I urge everybody to read, uh, which actually championed the bill. I mean, it pointed out the flaws in it uh, from a leftist perspective, but also pointed out the good points into it. So why don't you give your uh, just general views uh, about the bill that was um, advanced from the Senate uh, last week? 
Sure. Well, I'll point out the headline of that article was uh, a hell of a lot better than nothing. Um, and I think that's a good uh, summary of what, you know, the broad strokes are in terms of how to view this piece of legislation from a, you know, left or progressive perspective. Um, because it's historic. I mean, there's no doubt that this is the biggest investment in, um, you know, climate programs and uh, clean energy that we have ever seen, you know, that America has ever made. Um, and that that's probably true in terms of the globe. I mean, we don't exactly know what, um, you know, China and India have made just to do because of their kind of accounting mechanisms are different, but certainly when it comes to Western Europe and uh, North America, you know, it's, it's, it's the biggest investment and that has to do with a lot. And I think that's the most critical element of this bill. Of course, it also touches healthcare and taxation, um, but the climate elements I think are really what makes it stand out and that has caused pretty much everybody to fall in line, right? And say from, you know, Joe Manchin to Bernie Sanders within the Democratic caucus to say, we're gonna get behind this. Um, that I can, you know, just briefly summarize some of the more important climate elements. Um, mainly it's, it's best to think of this as just an extension of the infrastructure bill that passed um, previously. Um, the difference is that this more directly funnels money into, um, subsidizing if not just investing in uh, clean energy both uh, within industry and then on the consumer end as well so um, when it comes to utilities um, there's huge investments to incentivize uh, businesses to move towards green technology and green energy there's also subsidies for um, consumers when it comes to things like electric vehicles as well as you know heating and cooling systems for people's homes um, and then, of course, there's uh, investments in uh, propping up industries like solar, wind, uh, geothermal, as well as other more like geoengineering stuff like carbon capture technology um, that could potentially be critical to helping to, to suck carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, in total, that represents a shift, you know, in terms of how the U.S. government approaches um, industrial policy, trade policy. I think that chips bill that passed about, you know, uh, semiconductors and microchips is another example of this. Uh, you know, the U.S. kind of changing its positioning from, I would say, just a purely neoliberal outlook, which says the market will solve everything, and finally, uh, and you know, incorporating a little bit more direct state involvement in some of these issues by saying we're going to change the way that we uh, relate to industry and really try to prop it up. And certainly that's what's been happening in China and other places around the world where we've seen much faster um, uh, building out of things like solar and wind technology. Um, so those are all good things. I think that's obviously, you know, a huge positive and that's why major environmental groups are still urging the passage of the bill. Um, that said, there's also poison pills attached to it. I mean, part of the, the price that was paid for getting Manchin on board meant that there's, you know, locking in this expansion of oil and gas drilling in the Gulf Coast, which actually a judge had previously blocked, um, saying that its climate impacts were too large. Well, that's been that's been revived now in the bill. There's also, um, you know, ramifications of the bill say that there, 
you, even if you're going to expand green energy technology, there has to be uh, equal opportunities given to leasing out for oil and gas fields um, on public lands. And that could mean, you know, a huge rise in, in fossil fuel. Um, and there's similar uh, provisions that will accelerate uh, pipelines that are used to transport dirty fuels. And this was all due to the, you know, demands of people like Joe Manchin and other right-wing Democrats. And it's part of the reason that the fossil fuel industry is championing the bill as well. You know, Shell and all these companies are also um, cheerleading it. So that doesn't seem like it's a huge victory for uh, the climate groups, especially when, you know, the IEA and the, um, you know, the IPCC at the UN have all said that we need to stop all fossil fuel extraction immediately if we have any hope of um, keeping warming to a livable level, a habitable level on this planet. Um, so you can see why people are pointing out the flaws um, with this bill. And that's, there's similar issues when it comes to taxation. I mean, having a 15% corporate minimum tax is good, right? Like us, ideally that would mean that companies like Amazon that, is, that pay effectively zero in taxes will have to start paying a lot more and that will create some more fairness in the tax system. Um, but as you know, Ben, there's been all these carve outs for private equity to allow them to be able to uh, continue to operate. And we still are not joining with the global minimum tax, which was the Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary's big idea to prevent things like offshoring and people storing money in the Caymans and everything was to have a global minimum tax. Well, that got stripped out um, of the bill. And when it comes to um, health care, Providing um, subsidies for ACA recipients is obviously a positive thing. Also having uh, capping the price of prescription drugs for Medicare recipients is a very good thing. And those are still in there. But there's all these carve outs for uh, things like, you know, that it only covers Medicare, not private insurance. Well, huge swaths of the country have private insurance, not to mention the 30 million people that don't have any insurance. You know, they're still going to have to pay skyrocketing prices for pharmaceuticals, including life saving drugs like insulin. And in fact, the insulin part of it got uh, stripped out by the parliamentarian. And so the Democrats tried to, you know, have a, have a straight up vote on it. And the Republicans got together and blocked having that $35 cap on uh, prices for insulin. So even that, you know, there's been uh, a lot of uh, clawback from industry in terms of the, um, the how far the bill goes. So all to say, yes, a hell of a lot better than nothing. But that still means there's going to have to be a lot more work done to even just correct all of the issues on the climate front um, in order to stop the expansion of fossil fuel. And of course, this doesn't include all kinds of things that were in the Build Back Better Act, whether it was paid leave or pre-K or a child tax credit or a civilian climate corps, all these ideas that were instrumental to helping to uh, build out some uh, social programming to make sure that we're able to accomplish goals on climate and, and healthcare and, um, and economic fairness. Those don't exist in the bill at all. So yeah, so there's, there, there's a lot farther to go. Oh, my goodness. That was a great riff, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I welcome Miles to the show. That was I was taking literally taking notes on what you said there, because uh, that was a really a succinct uh, analysis of that bill, pros and cons. And I, the first thing I noted, oh, I jotted on the side. It's a very capitalistic bill. By that, I mean, you're talking about subsidies to industries, subsidies to consumers. This is not in any way like a leftist bill where government takes over markets uh, and controls things. 
in order to guarantee whatever outcome they want. Uh, so they're trying to steer behavior through subsidies, incentivizing. And it goes on all the time in the city of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, a program called the TIF program, and I'll resist the temptation to go down that path. But you know exactly what I'm talking about, Miles. They'll give some developer a handout, and that will give him the leg up on bringing uh, tenants to his building. He'll have an advantage over some other landlord who didn't get the handout, uh, and therefore his, uh, his rents are not effectively being subsidized uh, by the public. Uh, and I just when when the bill first passed or when they the specifics first came out, I had to smile at the twisted irony here, Miles. Follow me where I'm going. One of the chief beneficiaries will be your good friend, Elon Musk. I say that with a joke. Uh, we talked about Elon Musk on this show uh, and he made his great fortune through Tesla, which is a company that produces electronic cars, electric cars. And so that is one of the industries that will benefit. Uh, he has been pounding the drum. You and I have talked about this. He's kind of gone mini MAGA on us uh, ever since he, well, over the last couple of years, he's gone mini MAGA on us and particularly increased it with this opportunity to get uh, Twitter, take over Twitter. And yet, Miles, the the Democratic Party is effectively subsidizing his company with public dollars. I, I just find the irony of I don't expect any moment now uh, a, a thank you <laughs> from Elon Musk, who's now wealthier. Miles, Tesla stock has been rising. I don't know if you follow this stuff, but ever since this bill, I, I, I'm expecting that. Thank you, Democrats. I am now wealthier than I was before. Do you follow me? This like weird game that capitalists play in this country where they force the Democrats to, to do neoliberal programs. That's what these effectively are, subsidizing companies in the hopes that that will deter certain kinds of bad behavior, encourage good behavior. So they subsidize uh, big corporations and companies, making the people who own the companies even wealthier. And then, but meanwhile, publicly, they support MAGA. You know, because, well, I don't, who knows what kind of deranged thought is going on in their mind. Once again, Miles, it's <laughs> a lefty cannot win in this situation. Your response. I think that's a perfect way to put it. It's a capitalist, capitalistic bill. Um, and it should be noted that Elon Musk, the whole Tesla is where it is because of subsidies and investments made uh, under Obama during the Recovery Act in order to, you know, help out uh, uh, green energy companies then. I mean, there was so many focus on like Solyndra and all these, you know, um, companies that, you know, didn't didn't work out as green as green energy makers that the Republicans pointed out to say, oh, this is just like a money giveaway. But Tesla was a beneficiary of that. And they're obviously the leader in uh, production of electric cars. And I mean, in a way, that's good because we want to have companies that are um, the able to produce the type of uh, vehicles that we need to, you know, wean off of fossil fuels. But it's all, you know, socializing the risk and privatizing the reward where we have, you know, the people that are making money off of it are exuberantly wealthy and the public has to pay all the cost up front and doesn't really get the benefit until they like buy a commodity, a product. That's one thing that we should note in this um, bill is that there's nothing on public transport. It's all about, you know, private transport. It's all about like your cars. But if we wanted to have a real green energy policy in this country, we'd be investing in high speed rail and electric trains, electric buses and the type of and building out our uh, uh, infrastructure was it when it comes to public transport. But that's nowhere um, to be found in this. And you, as you said, 
this is a bill that's all carrots and no sticks basically right there's like a small methane tax that's included in there but besides that it's a complete reversal from the approach that we've had which was you know this is about incentivizing versus compelling right and previously you know the, the approach was we need to keep fossil fuels in the ground so we need to punish companies that are continuing to um push dirty carbon into the air that is resulting in a type of extreme climate impacts that we're seeing across the globe. I mean, just look at the heat waves that are happening um, just right now. Uh, but that's all been stripped out. There's no cap and trade. There's no carbon tax, you know, and obviously those legislative efforts failed. And so this is just a different approach that they've decided they have to do in order, you know, uh, climate champions in order to get anything passed. But as I said, the, we have to stop producing fossil fuel and you know people don't want to hear that and certainly industry doesn't want to deal with that reality but sidestepping it by just trying to incentivize consumers to spend money a certain way and to get it's still relying on the market ultimately and you're right in that it is still a neoliberal approach because it's all based on the idea that the market is going to say that clean energy is a more uh, profitable investment and therefore that's going to move uh, companies to invest in that versus fossil fuel but when you require there to be equal amounts of leasing for oil and gas fields as for wind and solar and other uh, um, other renewable energy sources i think it's you know it's actually causing more problems than it's solving or at least it means that they're you know, there's going to have to be future actions taken to undo some of the worst parts of this bill on the climate front. And yeah, in that way, it's exactly capitalistic and, and it's very different from the original version of a lot of um, these programs, which within in Build Back Better. I would go so far as to say it's a classic uh, Mitt Romney uh, type bill. And listen, I'm not hating on this right now. OK, ladies and gentlemen, I, I very much operate in a real world. Uh, my, I, everybody knows I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter. My guy didn't win. Uh, he does not control the Senate. People like Bernie Sanders do not control the Senate. They definitely do not control the Congress. That is for sure. Uh, so at some points, I take what I can uh, and hope that the madness uh, dis dissipates and so that we can have like Bernie Sanders type programs. That said, it's classic Mitt Romney bill. Mitt Romney didn't vote for it. And I got to I got to bring this point up. Not one Republican voted for it. This is classic, quote unquote, moderate Republican legislation, Miles. And I put moderate in quotes. Uh, not one. And Susan Collins didn't vote for it. Uh, well, Lisa Murkowski. Uh, well, no, she didn't vote for it. None of them voted for it. I'm like. There's a level of insanity going on in politics today where you give Republicans exactly what they clamor for and they won't vote for it. And so you have to go through the reconciliation process, this cockamamie budget, make it a budget bill. You know how they do it. We've talked about that uh, on the show at length. Uh, utter madness. And now I'm going to raise insulin with you and get you to riff a little more on that because uh, I don't want that, to, that moment to pass. Uh, so that uh, the insulin bill was stripped from uh, the overall bill by, by a ruling of the parliamentarian. It's in the weeds, ladies and gentlemen. It's how your government works. Uh, and it was a straight up vote. And the Republicans voted against it. And it couldn't pass. 
Miles, explain to me what's happening here. Why would a Republican vote against a measure that would help people afford medicine they need to survive? Well, because they're owned and funded by the pharmaceutical industry that is profiting off of sky high prices for insulin and other life-saving medication. And they're not alone. I mean, Democrats largely are as well, um, but not to the same extent. And it's not as much of a driving. Um, I mean, I think the, the, the real reason ultimately is that they didn't vote for this provision is because Mitch McConnell did a good job of keeping his caucus together to say, we're gonna do everything possible to uh, stop this bill. And like you uh, uh, mentioned earlier on in the show, they're still trying to do it in the House, you know, and they haven't given up. And so they don't want to be seen as signing off on it because the same way, you know, Mitch McConnell's number one goal after Obama was elected was to make him a one-term president. Um, you know, that was that failed. But ever since the rate, the, the you know, the, the Republican Revolution of 94 and Gingrich took control, the, the posture of the Republican Party uh, nationally and certainly in Congress has been to um, make democratic administrations into failures. And the way you do that is by withholding your support for any major legislation. Now, um, when it came to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, they basically let the Republicans write the bill. So that kind of, and that's why Mitch McConnell voted for it, you know? Yeah. So it makes sense that they voted for that one. This is a little bit different, but um, specifically on the question of insulin, I think it just has to do with the fact that a lot of these, you know, senators are effectively spokespeople for the pharmaceutical industry, and they just want to see their profits continue to increase. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, you could spend over $100 on, on vials of insulin here in the U.S., and then you cross the border to Canada, and it's like 10 or 20 bucks. It's because they actually control the prices, and because even, even at those, like, levels of 10, 20 bucks, the companies are still making a profit. They're just making, like, you know, a 20, 50% profit versus a 5,000% profit, right? Because it's, it's minuscule amount of money it takes to actually produce the product, but to um, get it to... Uh, consumers, it's incredibly expensive because there's no price controls, right? And that's, I think, where when it comes to all these issues about inflation and, you know, uh, supply chain issues and everything, we, you know, there was a time in the United States history where we embraced price controls. Certainly, you know, and FDR did during the um, war effort in the 40s, but even Nixon did it in the 70s, right? Like, this is not radical stuff. It's just ways to make sure that companies are not um, profiteering to an extent that they're causing people to actually die as a result, which is what is happening with these um, sky high insulin prices. And, you know, yeah, that has been a, a goal of the Democratic Party for many years now to have Medicare negotiate the prices of pre prescription drugs. And as I said, this bill makes efforts towards that goal. And that's a really positive thing. But it doesn't go nearly far enough. And yeah, and when it comes to things like insulin, yeah, when it private insurance can still charge whatever the hell that they want. And certainly, you know, private providers of insulin, if you just want to go buy it out on the market, you're still going to be paying insane amounts of money. So um, yeah, that's why Republicans uh, opposed it, I think, and will continue to oppose it. And ultimately, it's why you need to have a healthcare system that is not controlled by private companies and an industry that is, you know, at a massive lobbying front on Capitol Hill. They're one of the most powerful lobbies um, 
uh, when it comes to um, Congress, and they are incredibly effective, and they are earn their money because they're they're able to block legislation that would rein in uh, corporate profiteering. So you need to actually go at that industry, and that's what the promise of Medicare for All has always been about. Has been about you know taking the reins of control away from corporate America and putting it in the interests of actual work people who are the ones that need life-saving health care benefits are, but are being denied it because um, some people want to get richer and richer. Yeah, uh, that was a, another great riff, uh, Miles. And I will add uh, one point before I move on. Uh, it, this is the same Republican Party that denounces, quote, woke uh, corporations uh, when it comes to corporations like uh, Disney, uh, that uh, respect the issues of uh, gay rights, et cetera, largely because their employees uh, demand it. Uh, and so Ron DeSantis and other Republicans are trying to punish woke uh, corporations. But here they are defending corporations when it comes to gouging consumers on life-saving drugs. So once again, I'll just say it. It's like a theme of the show. I don't know how you can have a legitimate conversation, bipartisan conversation uh, in America today. Uh, when one party is uh, insane. All right, uh, let's move on and discuss uh, tactics, uh, electoral tactics that uh, Republicans and Democrats share. Uh, we have talked at great length on this show, uh, Miles. I'm not quite sure if I had the conversation with you, but I've had it with many other guests about Democratic uh, tactics in the last uh, go around, particularly here in Illinois, to fund uh, commercials that uh, highlight the conservative qualities of MAGA candidates like Darren Bailey here, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, in order to fire up a MAGA, get them to elect these people and nominate them as the Republican candidates, because internal Democratic polls show that these whacked out MAGA candidates are easier to defeat uh, in a, uh, a general election. <laughs> I've expressed a, a lots of uh, trepidation about this strategy, mainly because it's kind of scary to me that uh, like Doug Mastriano's one election away from being the governor of Pennsylvania and Darren Bailey's one election away from being the governor here in Illinois. Uh, and then my friends of the Democratic operative persuasion point out, Ben, don't be naive. Uh, grow up. Put your big boy pants on. This is how the game is played. And uh, to beat fire, you have to have fight with fire. Well, lo and behold, the story broke today. I, at least I just saw it today in the, in the Washington Post. United for Clean Power is a corporation, it's like a shadow group. I don't know who funds it, but it's definitely not lefties, can get, despite that title. Uh, and they're getting involved uh, in um, districts of people like Ilan uh, Omar to try to get, to try to persuade them uh, to vote against uh, the, the bill uh, that's coming. I don't know when the House vote is, I've lost track of it. But uh, Miles, why don't you take a little deep dive in this one and give us your thoughts on these Republican efforts uh, to uh, sabotage the bill. Sure, well, yeah, both of those are uh, completely absurd ways to do politics, I think, um, but largely because <laughs> even, I mean, even on a real politique level, you know, put your big boy pants on, what have you, you're, you can't at one point decry, you know, the type of, um, election denial and um, mega fealty to Trump um, and say that this is 
a, an aff not just an affront to our democracy, but actual a threat to our whole system of government, you know, and basically cry the apocalypse is coming because at least when it comes to our politics, because um, these type of, um, you know, Trump loving uh, elected officials are winning office while you're also funding those same type of candidates, you know, and that's exactly what the Democratic Party is doing. That's, it's not just hypocrisy, it's just like talking out of both sides of your mouth. And I, I don't think that's how, that's an effective strategy. You know, you gotta choose one, either it's not the end of the world because chances are some of these people are gonna win their elections. If it's not Mastriano or Bailey, it's gonna be one of these, you know, um, uh, you know, House representative, because it's a, it's a wide-spanning campaign, you know, that, that's being uh, uh, funded by these Democratic organizations and the Democratic Party itself to, um, to, to lift up the most extreme uh, types of candidates. And Mastriano, we should note, you know, if he becomes the governor of uh, Pennsylvania, he would appoint the Secretary of State, who therefore is the person that certifies the electors uh, when it comes to uh, presidential elections. So you don't even need the independent, uh, uh, you know, electors theory or what, what have you that the Supreme Court is going to rule on. If you have some, I mean, the same way as Brad Raffensperger had decided to go along with Trump, you know, in, in Georgia and, and you know, decide to change the electoral count and hand Trump those votes. I mean, th this is how you can change the results of an election. And so therefore, if, and, Sh and you know, Shapiro has been the, his Democratic opponent, uh, Mastriano's in Pennsylvania has pointed this out. He's, Mastriano has already said he would do this, you know, that he would appoint a Trump-friendly Secretary of State who of course is gonna follow, you know, Trump's lead and Pennsylvania is a clear swing state. So the the stakes are extremely high and, um, you know, the risk is I think a lot higher than the reward. I think that that's ultimately all the wrong lessons were learned from that Claire McCaskill, Todd Aiken race where, you know, they had an extreme right winger and Todd Aiken and McCaskill was able to beat him and Democrats just decided, oh, well, that's our strategy, you know, um, and at least it seems like that is the playbook they're following. And I would just caution that, you know, there were Democrats pleading for the Republicans to nominate Trump in 2016 because he was the most, um, you know, beatable uh, candidate on on that side of the the ledger and we saw how that worked out so anyway i do think that that's not a, a a smart approach to politics i do understand people have other um perspectives maybe i'll be proved wrong and all of these guys will lose their races but i somehow just don't think it now when it comes to united for clean energy you're right that is like the other side doing a, a similar type of play although it's to kill a piece of legislation rather than, um, you know, stop the election of, of certain uh, candidates. What uh, it seems like, you know, you said you don't know who's funding it, it's because it's all, you know, dark money, but the main group that is uh, funding this uh, organization, United for Clean Power, is a group that donates um, exclusively to Republicans, including like MAGA-backed groups. So it is clearly a right-wing uh, front group and effort in order to convince squad members specifically, you know, the most progressive um, Democrats in Congress to vote against it by saying that, you know, a lot of the same critiques that I just made, basically, that this, that the, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act doesn't go far enough, that it is like a giveaway to uh, the fossil fuel industry. Um, 
but it's using those that type of like left-wing rhetoric to try to um, get their constituents to tell people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to vote against the bill. Now that's not gonna work. They basically already um, said that they would support it. And certainly Jayapal, uh, Pramila Jayapal, the head of the CPC has said that she's gonna get her caucus together to vote for the IRA. I believe they plan to vote on it tomorrow, on Friday. Um, so I don't think that's gonna work, but it's an example of that same phenomenon you're talking about of like this weird political jujitsu stuff where people from different you know, ideological persuasions decide to act, you know, in a complete opposite way that would seem to benefit their politics in order to try to like get the, um, their desired result out of it. And both uh, attempts I think are not gonna work. I mean, I know that there's plenty of dishonesty in politics, um, but I think this type of blatant and bald faced, uh, you know, just, uh, trying to like lie your way into some desired result is destined to fail and just turn people off of politics right I mean that's the thing it's like this is how you breed cynicism if there's any way to and in our politics is just a broader point like we always talk about winning people over from the other side but what we don't realize is that the share of the voting pool is just keeps getting smaller because more and more people are tuning out of politics that's the type of people that need to be appealed to you know is the people that just don't give a shit anymore you know or say that they're all crooks and we never think about that we just think about oh are we going to peel away these certain people from these different political persuasions well that's not really the issue in american politics right now the fundamental issue is that people are checked out and this is the exact kind of reason that people i think do check out of politics yeah i'm with you 100 percent. i just want to point out uh that this this tactic is uh an old one it's been around my whole lifetime at least and i'm old uh, uh, Rick Perlstein, uh, pointed out to me, I wrote a story about this, uh, that, uh, I guess the most, uh, recent, the, the oldest, most recent example of it was in 1966 miles, 1966, uh, Democrats, uh, were promoting the gubernatorial candidacy in California of a man named Ronald Reagan on the grounds that nobody would vote for a B actor. Well, okay. I guess they didn't learn that lesson. Uh, and then Nixon did it in 72 uh, to try to uh, sabotage the Dems. Uh, so he kind of promoted George McGovern's campaign while undercutting Ed Muskie's campaign and the idea that uh, McGovern is a, uh, a candidate that uh, Benny favored, <laughs> baby Benny, uh, would be uh, easier to defeat. And he was correct. Rick Perlstein, a well, shout out to Rick Perlstein, uh, pointed out that Dems tried it uh, in 1966, uh, long, long ago. Uh, when they came to the conclusion that it would be better to have Ronald Reagan running for governor on the Republican ticket in California because he was easier to beat. And look how that worked out. So I don't like that tactic at all. I don't like what Dems do it. And I don't like it when Republicans do it. All right, let's switch to Brittany Griner. Shout out Maya Goldberg Sapphire, uh, ace Chicago independent journalist. <laughs> He's been on this show a couple of times uh, to talk about it. She was championing uh, Brittany Griner's case long before it was fashionable. And a, uh, was it a judge or a court? Uh, or a jury, I think it was a judge, <laughs> excuse me, uh, Miles, in Russia just sentenced her to nine years in prison uh, for a vape pen uh, with, had, I guess, uh, hashish oil. And I still don't believe it was legit, but whatever, neither here nor there. Uh, and um, the fallout is interesting with MAGA ch uh, siding with the Russians. 
things don't get more twisted, uh, Miles, in our country every day. Uh, MAGA is siding with the Russians against uh, Brittany Griner because at one point she protested uh, standing for the national anthem. Uh, she wasn't sure if she wanted to stand for the national anthem, so now they want her to do nine years of uh, prison time. Interesting take on liberty and freedom for MAGA, uh, which is always uh, championing their liberties and their freedoms. Your thoughts on the latest twists and turns uh, in the Griner case? And you'll uh, note as well that after the uh, FBI came into Mar-a-Lago looking for um, evidence, classified documents that a uh, former president had uh, apparently taken with him, uh, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, the same type of people that are decrying, you know, uh, Brittany Griner, posted an image of an upside down American flag, you know, on her on her Twitter. That if a if a you know left wing person did that, they would be lo losing their their minds yeah. over it, you know. But it just goes to show how ultimately this has very little to do with actual principles or ideals or what have you. And the best um, uh, illustration of that, I think, is the way that Trump himself has reacted to the case of Brittany Griner. I mean, Brittany Griner. Uh, you know, you've talked about it with Maya on the show before, but, you know, she's a multi-time Olympic uh, gold medal athlete. She's, you know, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest women's basketball player of all time um, and a true inspiration, you know, to um, women and just, you know, athletes and people that care about the game of basketball across the world. So she's not some, you know, marginal figure. She's actually um, has a huge um, fan base and a huge impact across the globe. She, uh, you know, was taken into detainment by the Russians after um, they apparently found or allegedly found um, some hash oil and a vape pen. She had the amount, we should say, even the prosecutors admitted was like 0.1% or, or whatever of a gram. It was like a tiny little um, part of a vape pen. It wasn't even a full vape pen. And as we know, you know, in Chicago, weed is legal so yeah, anybody can go out on the street and buy a vape pen if they want obviously there's different laws different places um, but what they charged her with and ultimately sentenced her for was large-scale transportation of drugs and with like the intent to distribute which is completely you know absurd based on the amount that even the prosecutors said she had and of course nine years in prison is an absurd sentence now some people are saying hey if we're going to try to free Brittany Griner um, shouldn't we free all people that are, you know, in jail in the U.S. for marijuana charges? And to that, I say yes. I mean, of course, that should be the cause, you know, of criminal justice reformers everywhere. And certainly in Illinois, some steps have been taken, you know, through the Weed Legalization Act and Pritzker's moves to um, free some of these people incarcerated from prison. But uh, I agree with that. I certainly don't think that's an argument for not working to bring Brittany Griner an innocent American home. So yeah, to get to the right wing's response and back to Trump, he initially, when it looked like, you know, there was not a deal on the table, um, and we still don't know what will happen. Um, but, you know, it looked much more dire um, a few months ago. Trump was saying, uh, oh, I would have had her home already, you know, in order to uh, show that he was more effective president than Biden and that, you know, he has a good relationship with Vlad over in Russia and that he would have, you know, been able to get her home as a way to, like, you know, uh, 
hit Biden. Well, now that it looks like there's more likely to be some type of an ideal with potentially this uh, person, Victor Boot, who was a you know arms dealer um, that, that the Americans are holding, uh, potentially somebody else um, to to swap for Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, another American who's been held for a couple of years now in Russia. Uh, we don't know if that'll happen, but certainly there are negotiations happening. You know, Blinken is involved now. Um, Bill Richardson is is involved. So now it looks like you know Brittany Griner may come home. That is the hopeful take on the sentencing is that that was a necessary precursor to. Um, having uh you know a, a prisoner swap take place um well trump is now saying exactly what you said that she's un-american why would we go to you know save her we should just like let her you know rot in prison well what like you know is his outlook on it completely changed based on what he thought you know political positioning was best for him because he doesn't want it to look for like a win for biden if he is able to, if if Brittany Griner is able to come home um, but he also wanted to say that if she doesn't come home, that's Biden's fault for not being able to do it. So it's just, you know, it's not just hypocrisy. It's just like, there's no, when you don't have any type of like ideological priors and you just base all of your decision-making on, you know, what's best for you personally in any given moment, you're bound to come up with a type of, you know, <laughs> schizophrenic outlook on policy that you get from people like Trump and MAGA is just going to follow him. So now, yes, you have sadly all these right-wingers talking all this smack about Brittany Briner who never did anything to them. I mean, yeah. come on, this is like a world-class athlete who is separated from her family and being, she's not only sentenced to nine years, she's being sentenced to nine years in like a labor camp. Yeah. you know and we've heard about the really horrid and grueling conditions from people like trevor reed another long-term detained american who recently was freed by a prisoner swap um under the Biden administration about how um truly awful the conditions are um in uh, in these russian prisons so you know you'd think that the cause of america you would want to bring home you know, uh, people that are detained the same way, you know, you see all these POW flags and stuff on the homes of all these, you know, very, you know, support the troops kind of right wing um, individuals. You, Brittany Griner is essentially a prisoner, which she's at least a hostage, you know, and isn't the goal of Americans to protect and, and help, you know, our fellow Americans or country people. I just think it's kind of absurd to have this outlook of like, oh, let her uh, serve her time when at the same point we see that it's an autocracy ostensibly in Russia, or at least a fake democracy, and that they go after political prisoners um, and go after political opponents in really um, outlandish ways all the time. And Brittany Griner is just the latest victim of that. Yeah. And I'll just uh, conclude with the, the theme of the Today Show, at least for me. Uh, <laughs> you cannot... Uh, cannot uh, agree on principles with people who have no principles. I do not know how it's possible to have an open dialogue with the Republican Party right now when you can't even agree that we're all against an American citizen being unjustly and unfairly uh, sent to nine years of hard labor in a labor camp in Russia. You just, if you can't even agree on that, and by the way, one little shout out, a little uh, tangent here. I'm, I'm probably the only one in America who's going to say what I'm going to say. A uh, little shout out to LeVar Ball. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but he is uh, the daddy of uh, Lonzo Ball, 
uh, LaMelo ball. And he had a third son, LiAngelo ball. Well, I don't know if you followed this one. I, I kind of followed this one. Uh, LiAngelo ball, when he was playing for UCLA, got caught shoplifting, I want to say, in China. Don't quote me on the specifics, Miles, because I'm doing this off the top of my head. And I think it was four years ago. He got caught for shoplifting. And Donald Trump, Donnie was the president at the time. He made such a big deal. I got him I cut about it. it was like negotiated with the Chinese. And I'm like, and, and LeVar Ball called him out on. He goes, you didn't do Jack. I remember that. I don't know if you follow that one, uh, Miles. But I definitely remember Le- LeVar called me. You didn't do Jack. I did. It's so classic LeVar. He did it. But anyway, uh, maybe LeVar Ball can get me right out of jail. All right. Before we um, close it down, Miles, uh, why don't you uh, tell folks what they can see uh, in, in these times? Little shout outs uh, to the great uh, leftist. Uh, online newspaper in these times sure please yeah check out uh in these times.com i've been uh putting some great stuff up there um there's the uh, previously mentioned piece by max wiki who's a former economist uh well still an economist but formerly at the economic policy institute wrote that piece on the um, ira bill we talked about um before it's a piece just up today by jeff shirky about the intelligentsia coffee workers here in chicago who organized their first union um so shout out to them um joining you know workers at starbucks and collectivo um really making kind of a movement out of this coffee industry organizing um and i do think as we've talked about many times one of the brightest spots for left-wing politics and a progressive revival in america right now is um the labor movement and its uh, successes and certainly bringing in workers in new industries and new fields especially big companies like starbucks recently we've also seen you know trader joe's get organized obviously amazon um and other places too so um yeah so definitely check that out um we have uh, a investigation into lockheed martin and how lockheed martin uh the defense contractor has been doing all this recruitment on college campuses um really ugly stuff um but you know that's the uh, world we live in so it's good to be informed about it um and uh i also recently published an interesting piece by this woman princella tally um who is a black woman in Louisiana talking about how the abortion ban there is really going to have an outsized impact on um, black women and um, and really making a strong case for universal health care as a, as a solution to that. So definitely check um, that out and really everything on the site. I wrote something um, about a week and a half ago now on uh, really laying into some of the more conservative Democrats like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema for blocking Biden's agenda, whereas, you know, I think more of the progressive and left-wing members of Congress have been the biggest champions of Biden's agenda, and, you know, the right of the party is trying to, you know, cut out the legs of him at every step, and I think they are really responsible for the low approval ratings of of the president right now. So, yes, you can check that piece out by uh, me as well, and I just end by giving a shout-out to a long-time um, labor reporter for in these times, David Moberg, who sadly um, passed away recently. Um, he was uh, had been on staff at in these times since the magazine was founded back in 1976, um, and was just a nonstop presence in the pages of in these times, writing about um, everything going on with the labor movement. He was a real. Uh, he kept the flame alight for a whole generation. You know, all these newsrooms have 
decimated their labor desks. And now you'll be lucky if you even have like a business reporter, right, who sometimes writes about labor. Well, during that period, David was constantly covering with a really analytical eye um, some of the most important labor uh, stories of the ages. And he was based in Chicago. So he was also writing about Chicago politics. And of course, he wrote for outlets like the Chicago Reader uh, many times as well. So, um, so yeah, just want to... Uh, um, uh, give a shout out to um, the, the late, great David Moberg and thank him for all of the great contributions he did to help uh, new generations of journalists and labor activists um, have a, a wealth of information to draw on. And um, I know he touched so many people in, you know, the left-wing media ecosystem, and that's really appreciated. So, yeah, I just want to um, end on the uh, much love for um, David Moberg and much love to his family out there as well. Very good. Yeah, David Moberg, uh, a, uh, a legend uh, in lefty journalism in the city of Chicago. and wrote some great, as I told you before, one of their great stories for the reader, uh, championing Harold Washington. And I, I teasingly used to call him the liberal whisperer because it was by all these articles, these massive reader articles were intended to persuade uh, lakefront liberals on the north side of Chicago to vote for Harold Washington. But yo, you could do this, you can do this guys. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, he was uh, along with Gary Rivlin, David Moberg, uh, but probably as responsible as anybody for trying to convince those nervous Nellies in the north side of Chicago, always getting nervous, man. <laughs> Liberals on the north side. Of I'm so scared, Pam. I don't know. I heard on BZ something. Anyway, they hear something on BZ. They get really scared. All right. Uh, yeah, shout out to David Moberg, uh, a great journalist. All right, Miles, another great journalist. Thank you very much. That was a great show. Uh, love the deep dive you took in particular on what I call the Mansion Bill, but uh, I guess I should call it uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and do the right thing. So thank you very much, Miles. I look forward to our conversations uh, all the time. And I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, after two shows, he's now been elevated to a man, a myth, and a legend. Uh, he is sitting for, sitting in for another legend, Dr. D, uh, who is uh, probably smoking a doobie right now and enjoying life. Yeah. yeah he's, he's on vacation and all. And anyway, uh, Chris Shaggy, great job, uh, second day in a row. And he's going to do the bonus interview in about an hour with David Ferris. So he's going to do a, oh, what a week tomorrow. We're really putting him to work. So thank you very much, Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right, everybody. Another Ben Jarofsky show in the books. Remember, you can uh, download the previous Ben Jarofsky shows if you missed any this week or last week or way back a month ago. They're still really good. They're entertaining. They're useful. Check them out, chicagoreader.com and wherever else, wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. I'm going to recut that part. <laughs> <laughs>